Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fadel. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to talk today about something that is very important to me, and that is how to survive the holidays. It doesn't matter if you celebrate winter solstice, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating. Right now, we're heading into American Thanksgiving, which just on its own is problematic. What I have done to celebrate that over the last probably about 15 years, 21 21 years of saying no family, or at least when my husband and I got married, making a decision that we would keep Thanksgiving for ourselves, which meant we have always done a Friendsgiving. Now, that didn't mean family couldn't come, but for the most part, I've had so many problems with my family that it was a very small contingent of my family that would come. So we we put tight boundaries around it from day one. And it being problematic since it's celebrating the genocide of indigenous Americans. So what we do as a family is we try to honor Native Americans around the holiday by flipping the switch and celebrating friends, going around the circle at some point and talking about what we're grateful for, just recentering it and um, remembering remembering that it's full of pain for so many people. So right right out of the gate, I'm talking about things that are difficult. And that I haven't even gotten into the family stuff. So you may not have a family that has abuse or trauma, rejection, alienation around it. I'm sure there's other shun words that I have not mentioned, so you can fill in the blank with your own. I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, But often, regardless of whether there is trauma and abuse in your family, there are issues around the holidays. And there's so many reasons for this. The, the biggest reason, I think, is we often as humans switch in, into this magical thinking. And we can be very rational, solid people 90% of the time. But so often around this time of year, we switch... maybe this is a better way to say it. It's almost like a switch gets flipped in us and either one of two things happens. We get very magical thinking. And what I mean by that is we convince ourselves of things we don't believe every other day of the year. We convince ourselves that people are going to behave differently, that 
the handsy uncle isn't going to be handsy. The aunt that says negative things about our body isn't going to do that. That everybody's going to be kind to the, to each other. There's not going to be any political fights. There's not going to be any boundary crossing because we want it to be that way. And I think also we're bombarded with commercials that are telling us it should be this way. And, you know, movies, this is the time. I mean, they're already playing Christmas music on the radio and it's not even Thanksgiving yet. And that was two weeks ago. So I think we need to pay attention to that. The other thing is, so on one hand, it's either magical thinking or complete cynicism. And complete cynicism looks like, and I want to be careful how I say this, because I think you can do whatever you want and celebrate whatever way you want. But often it's almost as as if there is an inability to embrace any kind of joy and gratitude because we have to put on a shell of protection. And again, neither of those things are wrong or bad. It's like they are what they are. But when they are at the tightest, most restricted versions of themselves, they can be damaging to us. So the one, the magical thinking is we go in unprepared for what we're going to face and how to protect ourselves being in those environments. Or the other one, we can enjoy receive love or give love because we are so protected and girded up. So what do we do about it? I have spent so much time thinking about this because every year for the past 20 plus years, I've had to do some kind of protection, some kind of preparation. And it has shifted and changed over the years. And because I've done the deeper work through therapy and continuing meditation and mindfulness and awareness, the work is still happening. It's just, I'm not having to dig as big of a hole or do as many preps. I say that and who knows, you know, something could come up and what I'm saying to you now, um, I may have to change. I may have to do the things I've done before because I'm not coming into it without my own trauma and my own abuse. So I try to practice some kind, some kindness some self-care, some awareness of, for me, the ground is always shifting because people are always changing within my sphere. For the most part, I don't have contact with the people that have done no work, no reconciliation with me, 
no sorry amends i don't have i don't have relationship with them because over time they proved to me who they are and that they weren't going to do any work towards reconciling or towards owning any of the damage that they did or part- or participated in but that doesn't mean that they won't do something fucked up that doesn't mean they won't send me a Christmas card or a package in the mail or decide to email me out of the blue or call me. These are all things that I've experienced where I'm going along, everything feels pretty good, you know, whether we have money or not, we are finding ways to celebrate with our children, you know, ways that feel good to us. And those ways have been for us as a family for the most part things that don't cost money so maybe they cost a little bit of money like to you know pay for gas and drive somewhere but being out in nature gathering together with our close friends that can be in that moment with us and laugh and be crude and be sad all at the same time holding multiple things at the same time. Um, But I have had many holiday seasons where things have been pretty good. And then out of the blue, you know, I'll get some kind of weird letter from my mother. And I'd like to say now that that does not affect me anymore, that I've done so much work that contact from her saying something weird and harmful to me would not affect me but I cannot say that it wouldn't because she's still my mother and I still have feelings around it that I don't know if no matter how much work I do that there won't be some kind of residue around that So that doesn't mean that she completely knocks me off my feet and I'm in bed for a week, but it does affect me. It does. I'll probably cry about it. I'll probably have to do some journaling or some really good self-talk if that kind of stuff happens. And that has been a process of, you know, over 15 years of work, probably almost 20 now. So... What I'm saying is we can't control what people are going to do, but we can control what we are going to do or how we are going to respond or maybe control isn't the right word. We can prepare. And one of the ways to prepare is to sit down and really think about, you know, what's happened. So one of the ways that you can do that is you can take stock. And that's hard. Like the American Thanksgiving is next Thursday. So that gives me like a week, a little over a week. And in that time, I can sit with myself and hold space 
for the messages that might come through. And so what I mean about that, if I, you know, stretch that out or flush that out for you, is I want to be honest with myself. I want to be honest with my true feelings because if I'm not honest with myself, then I'm not really helping myself. And my my inner voice, that that true the the truth, the real person of who I am that's inside of me really wants me to get through this. And that doesn't mean I'm going to get through this with no tears and no feelings of sadness, but what can I do about it? So taking stock can be painful. Looking back over toxic and painful things that have happened can be hard. And you don't have to you know, do like a deep dive. You can just sit in silence with yourself, maybe with a piece of paper and a pen and say to your inner self, what do I need to pay attention to this time of year that could be a pothole for me or a chasm? (laughs) And as you sit in silence with yourself, Just wait, and your inner voice will tell you what you need to pay attention to. And it might be, hey, every time we get really excited, we spend a lot of money because we think that on some level we can buy our families care and love for us, and it never works out the way we want. So that's one. Every Christmas since you were a child, you have overextended. You have done everything that your parents have asked you to do or your grandparents have asked you to or extended family have asked you to do, like make the turkey, you know, host it at your house, spend all the money, you know, Whatever it is, taking the bulk of that on. That's number two. Maybe it's every holiday since you've left your house, you have allowed people to override your internal boundaries every time. So what I want to, a little caveat here about boundaries is boundaries are not necessarily things that we speak out to people. In fact, it's better if they're not, like you don't say to somebody, hey, you're stepping all over my boundary. This is my boundary. You create a boundary by saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that this year, but this is what I will do. Or I'm sorry, we already have plans, but I can do it at this time. Or this year, you know, my, (laughs) I used to say to people at the bridge, that was the the place that I was the minister. If it helps, use me as an excuse. My pastor has asked me to do X, Y, and Z. My minister has said, has asked me if I would set up the church on Christmas Eve. And it's a big responsibility, and I've said yes to that. So that's a boundary. You're not saying, I set a boundary with you. 
or this is my boundary. You're just with your actions and with your words, you're setting up boundaries. And so back to that number three, maybe you've sat down and thought about those internal boundaries and even spoke some of those out. But as soon as you get pushback, as soon as you get manipulated, as soon as you get tricked, you acquiesce to what everybody else is wanting to do. Number three, maybe, you know, you have this, maybe you're a parent and you have this sense that your children, you know, for the last 10 years, you've been disappointed every Christmas because you've bought them everything that they wanted and they're not grateful. Or you have all these magical things planned. This is where I've always had a little problem. You know, I want to do all of these, like go get a Christmas tree and go to the Christmas village and do all of these um, things that are special to our family. And over the years, I still want to do those things, but I've kind of had to change my ideas around them. And what I mean by that is people are going to fight. People are going to be grouchy. People are going to be ungrateful. So what can I do to alter my reactions around that. You know, I want everybody to (laughs) come home from getting a Christmas tree, want to set it up, drink hot cocoa and listen to Christmas albums and be all happy with each other. Over the years, I've altered that. And how I've altered that is nobody wants to come home from getting a tree and do the work of decorating it all on the same day in my family. So what we've done is we get the tree, we come home, we take a little break, we set it up, get it in its stand, put the water in it, and we don't do anything else. And then maybe the next day we put the lights on and maybe the ornaments or we just put the lights on and then the next day is that's when we decorate it. And I've also had to change my expectations around most of the time Todd and Zion aren't super into it. They're into maybe the moment of being together. And so I've stopped forcing people to enjoy it with me and Brennan and I will typically decorate it and Todd and Zion will put a couple ornaments on, but we're together. People don't want to listen to Christmas music necessarily like I do, so we'll watch a Christmas movie, one of the old Rankin and Bass cartoons. So, altering expectations in there. So that's my number three, or I think that was number four. Um, So... You're writing down, you're taking stock not to beat yourself up and shame yourself. You're taking stock so that then you can build awareness around what to do differently. So when you take stock, let's say you're taking stock of um, spending money, you know, and really looking at not necessarily the money aspect, but your expectations around it. If you don't look at why you're doing it and your expectations of what you're going to get out of it, it is very hard to shift that behavior. Because the only reason we really want to shift 
behavior in there is because we're being dis- we're getting disappointed and possibly heartbroken in the process because people aren't meeting these unspoken expectations. So once you take stock, you can sit alone with yourself and kind of explore what you could do differently. And one of the big things in here when you're doing the exploration, so first we had the taking stock, now we're doing the explorations of motives, expectations, what we could do differently, to keep in mind loving kindness. We cannot change or alter the way we do things if we are not kind. Because just just white knuckling it never fucking works. It doesn't because it is rooted in shame. But if we can get to why we're doing it, we can possibly treat ourselves with kindness. And, and at least treat it like, this is what I knew how to do, and now I can do something differently. But you can't do something differently unless you explore why you're doing it. So if you know, let's say, you're already committed to going to your parents for Thanksgiving, and there's always some blow-up. And the blow-up usually happens after... People have had a few drinks and they're getting less careful with each other and that's when the blow up happens. There are things that you can do to not have to be a part of that. Maybe you can't say, I changed my mind, I'm not coming, which I think whatever category you're in. If it's an abusive thing, you can absolutely change your mind, but that might be too much for you. If it's a situation that is very uncomfortable and potentially toxic, there are things you can do to buffer that. And one of those things that you can do is bookend things. This was a major thing that that Todd and I got very good at, is you bookend however, how long you're going to be there. And people, yes, If you have the expectation that people are not going to be irritated or disappointed with you, try to alter that because you can do everything right and people are still going to be disappointed in you. So by what I mean by bookending is if you put something before, so let's say right before everybody's grouchy with each other because all the cooking's going on. So you... Let your host know something came up and I'm going to be a little bit later than I anticipated, but I will be there with time for my cake or salad or side to be on the table. And then you say, you don't have to say this in the in whatever communication you're using and I would recommend maybe not even saying the the second bookend phase which is you know at a certain point after you've eaten maybe you don't even stay for dessert it's up to you when the fireworks happen but you have something that is happening right after oh I'm I had such a good time thank you so much for letting me be here and 
I, I love seeing everybody, blah, blah, blah. I got invited to go to somebody's house and do X, Y, and Z. I'm not opposed to lying. But if you have trouble with that, then actually put something in there. Maybe your friends are having a party that's a Friendsgiving after the festivities. Lots of people do this because a lot of people have some kind of difficulty in their family celebrations. So they put something afterwards that friends can go to. And if you don't have that, set that up for yourself. Have, hey, at my house, we're going to have, you know, butterbeer and watch Harry Potter. But do it at the time that gives you enough time to get out of there. So one of the things that you can do is bookend. So that's have something that gets you there a little bit later than you normally would and get you out earlier. The other thing that you can do is if you have a safe friend, ask your host, you still have a few days, hey, I'm, I have a friend that is really looking for something to do, don't have family, and would you mind if I bring them? They're gonna, they'll, they'll bring a side or whatever. And then that is a friend that before you even go, you have the conversation, you set up a code word, and that code word is if things get dicey, that friend is your out. And that friend can take the heat. You know, oh my God, there's emergency in their family and I'm their ride and we got to go. Or whatever. That friend is your safety net. That friend is the person that also can spot the dysfunction in your family and go, hey, um, you know, pull you aside, go outside for a smoke, whatever you do to get outside. We're going to get some fresh air. And they go, yeah, the, you know, what your grandma said about your body, that's fucked up. Are you okay? Do we need to go? I'm here for you. You deserve somebody to respect your boundaries and love your body because your body is beautiful exactly how it is. So that's another thing. These things are the things that are doable when you live in the same town or in, you know, close proximity to your relatives. It's not so easy if you're flying in somewhere or, you know, you've traveled a day to get there. But there are things that you can do. There are code words that you can set up with your partner to do the same thing that a friend would do which is, you know, going outside, taking a walk. You don't have to be at your family's beck and call. You can have things set up, like get up before everybody else and do some meditation and go on a walk. You know, have a book that you're reading. Have homework. Go, I'm so glad I can be here. I just want to let you know that I also have a project that I'm working on for work or for school, or if you're not in either of those and nobody would believe you, then create a project that you're working on that has a due date and you don't have to tell them about it, but give yourself periodic outs 
even if your family is relatively, you know, non-triggering, you can take yourself out of situations that sometimes are more painful than people are empathetic enough to understand. You know, if you haven't had children, if you're not married, those are usually big ones for people like always saying, when are you going to get married or who are you dating or what's the holdup or why aren't you having any kids and what's wrong? And, you know, maybe you've had miscarriages and it's very painful to go into those situations and be bombarded with questions that kind of are inappropriate to be asking you. Um, maybe you don't want kids and you don't feel like you should have to defend yourself. Um, maybe you don't want to get married. Not everybody wants to get married. All of those things, maybe in other times of year are easier for you to navigate, but for some reason we are, or tend to be more vulnerable around the holidays or more prickly. So one or the other. And we don't want to have to defend our decisions or explain what's going on in our bodies. So these are just some suggestions of things that you can do. And I do have a code word and I have used it many times, even though sometimes it's just, it has nothing to do with people, what the people are doing around me. It just means I need a break. Because, for instance, like, I love Todd's family. And when my family was not around, because they disappeared when I came out of about my abuse, that didn't mean I wanted to sub substitute Todd's family for my family. It didn't mean all of the things that I used to do with my family, I now wanted to fill up with things to do with Todd's family. Not because I didn't love them, but because it kind of, for me, it compounded the vacancy of my own family. And I, I, I wanted to fill it up with new traditions with Todd and Brennan and Zion and I, and my friends that kind of have a similar experience that we could kind of hold that space for each other and allow each other to be sad, happy, angry, enraged, then fill it up with stuff that was good for their family. I wanted to keep the traditions that we did with them, but I didn't necessarily want to add more. So the other thing, the third thing, so we have take stock and then evaluate. And then the last thing is your follow through. So the follow through is not to say, if you weren't able to do it, once it's over, you should beat yourself up about it. The follow through is a practice. And by practice, it's you're experimenting, you're going to go, you know, well, that doesn't work for me. Or I thought that that would go good. And then when I got manipulated by Uncle Tom, I caved. Or when I got pressured by my mom and guilted, I, I lashed out 
and said things that I, I didn't want to say to her. So follow through. If follow through is a practice, we have to treat it like we're practicing. And sometimes when we practice something, we have to start very small and very ex- and kind of extreme. So if your family is dangerous, I would find a way to not engage at all and send a Christmas card or an email. If your family is problematic and there are plenty of difficult and painful things in there, then I would set up small engagements with all of the things that we talked about and some good ones that I hope you come up with and that you'll share with me. Please share them with me. Bookend, bring a friend, code words, lies, all of those things that you can put in your back pocket that you can, you know, go to the bathroom. This is, this is the thing I say all the time is for the most part, people don't bother you in the bathroom. So if you need to, you know, say you have a bladder control problem, if people ask you why you're going to the bathroom so much, do it. Go to the bathroom, remind yourself who you are, take plenty of breaks, take a walk. You know, if it's a thing where you're you're like, hey, I'm going to get the kids and we're going to go play outside for an hour while everybody does whatever they're going to do, you know, and then you can interact with the younger kids and also give them a breather from sometimes the phonetic energy that's happening around them. So practicing means small goals. And then once you reach the first goals, you're just putting in another small goal or you're taking one out. So one thing, there's a couple things I want to say. One is something that I learned from Anne Lamont. And Anne Lamont said, say no first. And the reason is, is it is easier to say no first and then change our mind than to say yes and change your mind. So think about that for a second. It is easier to say no and change your mind than say yes and change your mind. And the reason is, once you say yes, people have already committed you. And often they've committed you before you've even said yes. And then you end up being the bad guy. Or they're like, oh, I've already, you know, set a place for you and bought you this and did this and X, Y, Z and... And now you're disappointing me and you're letting us all down. But if you say no, and then you're like, actually, I think I can do that. Then you can call and say, hey, if the offer still is open, I realize that I actually can come. And is it possible to change my mind? And then people treat it much differently than if you say yes, they treat yes like you're betraying them. And I mean, I'm not saying no is pain-free, but 
leading with that is better. And then I just, I just want to remind people that whatever you decide is okay. If you decide to blow it all off and not engage with anybody and kind of decide I'm going to take care of myself and taking care of myself looks like not doing anything that my family and extended family or church or social club or do people even do that social clubs anymore or whatever, whatever is problematic for you not doing this year and just doing what feels good. That is completely fair. One of the things that I'll leave you with is when my family blew up, it was really painful and hard to navigate. There was so much loss. I mean, I didn't have a mom anymore. And for a long time, I did not have a dad anymore. And you know, there was so much loss and abandonment around that and not having that for my children and all, I mean, it's a whole shit show of emotions, but there also was no expectation on me to show up because they had, you know, abandoned me. So I don't have any expectation to show up for them. The only people I have to show up for are Todd, Brennan, and Zion and my community, and Christmas Eve at his family's. That's it. But as time has gone on, and reconciliations have happened, it has gotten more and more complicated for me. Because now there's an expectation. Now there's an expectation that even though you were gone for five years and didn't talk to me, that now the plans and the traditions that we've created as a family, I'm going to alter for you. So now I constantly have my plans bumped up against. So one of the things that I learned a few years ago is, and this is with all of the things I do, you know, spending time ahead of time, you know, taking stock and making plans and putting boundaries and communicating as a family of, you know, we're going to stay an hour, you know, you don't have to do this, you don't have to hug, you don't have to sit on anybody's lap, obviously, you know, all of these things that you do not have to do. And two years ago, all of my family, minus my mother and her husband, were coming into town. And I was doing all this prep work. You know, I was going on walks. I was talk, talking to myself and setting up my boundaries. And we made a plan that we were going to show up on time, hang out with my dad, and stay an hour and a half or something like that. And then we were gone and we got there and we were on time and my dad was fine and his wife was fine and we're just hanging out and everybody else was 45 minutes late. And so that backed me into a corner of being the bad guy. Again, I'm all, I just have to resign myself and my family that I'm going to be the bad guy. Might as well get used to it. 
So I was so angry. You know, my dad had done all this cooking and preparation, and then, you know, I'm the one that has to take off early. And so one of the things that I realized through that is just because I can do something, just because I can endure being in a room full of people that think I lied about my abuse and could give two shits about me, just because I can do that, just because I can endure it, doesn't mean I should. And something snapped in me because I realized that to some degree I had been modeling all of these healthy behaviors and boundaries and self-love to my children and at the same time saying, but I'm strong enough to endure it and I'm going to endure it. Instead of listening to myself go, this isn't right. None of these people believe you. Who cares if they hate you? Obviously, I care. And so I sat down with my children and I apologized and I said, I feel like I've modeled to you that just because you can, you know, if you can endure something, you should. If you can take it, you should take it. And that is not my intention. And that is not something I ever want to model for you. I want you to... Because I saw this thing play out in their lives of like abusive relationships or a job that is toxic or whatever. And they, because they're strong enough, they can endure it. But they shouldn't have to. And so that doesn't look, that doesn't mean that every holiday I can just go, well, fuck you. I'm not coming. And not feel anything. I still feel all of the disappointment that is unspoken. I still feel like I should do this and I should do that. But there is a resignation within me that I'm not going to put myself through that anymore because I am worth more than that. So that's what I, that's what I want to leave you with, that you are worth more than putting up with somebody's bullshit version of love. You're worth more than that. So remember that this, as you go into this season, remember that you are worth being loved exactly how you are, no matter if they like it or not. You are still worth it. You are still worth being loved. And if they can't do it, modeling real love, which is loving you as you are. That doesn't mean they like all your behaviors. It just means that they love you. So that's what I've got. This is part one. There is more to come. And some of it will be jolly and some of it will be not jolly. But I'm going to leave you with remember who you are and love yourself. Because you are worth it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. If you like what you're listening to, it would be really helpful to me if you would like, share, subscribe, tell all your friends about it, shout it from the rooftops. Also, if you're interested in doing any of my meditative, mindful archery workshops, archery for the whole family, 
in the Portland area or anywhere I do travel with the archery workshops. I'm in Colorado every October. I'll be in Texas in April and possibly in Charlottesville, Virginia in April as well. If you'd like to meet with me for spiritual direction, I can meet with you remotely, locally. You can find all this out on AngieFatal.com. Thanks. Bye. Bu 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 side B side you're on the B side B side where the funny stuff is found yeah I'm glad you could join me today because I want to talk about something that is very important to me and that is taking care of yourself during the holidays so It doesn't matter what you celebrate, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, and my brain just shut off. (laughs) 